Today's episode is going to be a little different as we're going to be exploring Celtic mythology. My guest today is Sean Esther Powell, and she is the host of the Celtic Myths and Legends podcast, a podcast that explores the legends and folkloric creatures of six Celtic nations, Wales, Scotland, Ireland, Cornwall, Brittany, and the Isle of Man. I've been wanting to explore Celtic mythology for some time on this show, even though it's not related to Vikings. I've recently done some reading and have found Celtic myth absolutely fascinating. And while there are a lot of parallels between that of the Norse and that of the Celtic when it comes to folklore and mythology, there's also some elements that are very different. So I hope you all enjoy this episode today. Sean, thank you so much for joining me. Can I just say thank you for pronouncing my name correctly? That's a first. (laughs) My pleasure. Nice to hear. Um, So I guess today I'm talking about Celtic Otherworlds, I think. So hopefully your listeners will find that quite interesting. Um, I think the first thing to really put forward is um, when we talk about Celtic myth and uh, Celtic folklore and Celtic mythology, it's a little bit of a misleading term because um, there was never one monolithic Celtic nation. There was um, Celtic tribes in what we now know of as Wales, Ireland, Scotland, Brittany, Cornwall, Isle of Man. Um, but there was never a pantheon of Celtic gods, which is a big difference to this mythology, whereas, you know, there is a pantheon of gods. So I think um, an interesting thing to talk about is um, the other worlds and sort of, I guess, elves and supernatural beings in both um, Norse mythology and Celtic mythology, because there's lots of similarities. So um, I basically will just run you through like the basics of them. So the two-a-day Danon, are the um, Irish supernatural beings. So you have the Tuaday Danon and the Aishi. Um, I hope, hopefully I'm pronouncing those okay. Um, in Welsh folklore, you have the Tuluith Take. In Cornish and sort of Breton folklore, you've got um, pixies um, and corrigans. In Scottish folklore, you've got fairies, because the name fairy actually comes from fairy land. So they would have been of fairy. So I think that's always quite a cute little um, tidbit. Um, yeah, so those are the um, the creatures of Celtic mythology, really, the supernatural beings. Um, and an interesting thing, because I've been talking to Siobhan Clark, who's been on this podcast, and she's brilliant. Yes. Yeah, so she's given me lots of really interesting notes about the hidden folk of um, Norse mythology, I think. Or probably more accurate to say um, folklore, so sort of Scandinavian and Icelandic folklore. So in those tales, you've got the idea of a hidden folk who live underneath the ground in a sort of chthonic world. And that's very much the same in Celtic mythology, this idea of living underneath the ground and living in a world that's happening at the same time as our world, but just sort of beneath us. So there is this idea of reaching this world through portals like standing stones or bodies of water and I think that's sort of similar with the hidden folk of um, Scandinavian folklore as well. We've got this idea of having to travel underneath the ground to reach them. That's just the basics for now. <laughs> that And that's fascinating and, and a really good point is when talking about Celtic myth, obviously we're talking about six different uh, regions, nations here. So certainly those uh, folkloric creatures would have been very, I guess, localized, I would say. When talking about Celtic myth, 
you know, where do we get the Celtic myths from? Are these oral traditions that uh, the people of these Celtic nations would have been uh, passing down generation after generation? Are there certain manuscripts or texts that they've written down these stories in? Where do we get these myths from? Okay, so that's a really great question because actually it's a little bit all over the place. <laughs> so um, talking about Celtic mythology, we have a really nice mix of folklore, so oral history passing through these stories from generation to generation. Um, and we also do have literature and texts. So when we're talking about, say, for example, Irish folklore and Irish mythology, really we're getting a lot of the information about the other world from medieval literature. So two of the big genres of um, literature in medieval Ireland that pertains to the other world and sort of mythological aspects are the Irish Imrama, which are sort of monastic voyage tales. So they're really great, really, because they were written by monks and um, religious people. Um, but they're tales of heroes traveling across the sea to various islands off the coast of um, Ireland. So that's another way that the other world is portrayed. It's um, portrayed underneath the ground, but also as various islands. So um, my favourite tale in Irish mythology is um, Maelduin, the voyage of Maelduin. Um, I have an episode of that on my podcast, and I basically go into the fact that there's this hero and he's avenging his father, and he has to visit all of these various islands where all this crazy stuff is happening. So that's one of the big areas of Irish mythology. Um, and there's also lots of folkloric creatures that are very local to areas, so like banshees and things like that. Um, when we talk about Welsh mythology, really we're drawing quite strongly on the Mabinogion, which is, um, I believe, the first prose texts in Britain. So it's medieval texts of um, sort of mythological figures that are put forward as sort of kings and queens but there's a real real strong sense of magical realism in those stories because the king of britain bran is a giant <laughs> and it's never really said that he's a giant until there's a scene of him walking through the ocean from britain to ireland which is a really great image and in terms of um cornish and britain mythology and folklore lots of that are folk tales so you have lots of tales of fairy changelings and lots of localised myths of supernatural beings there. Um, and in Scotland, there is a whole other world as well. And I said, you know, you've got fairyland and the people of fairy. So there are these texts um, sort of um, immortalised in text, this idea of mortals and creatures from these other worlds falling in love or having quests together and all stuff like that. So yeah, it is a mix of written text and oral folklore that's um, sort of kept these tales going. So what was the relationship between the creatures in Celtic myth, the fairies, the just all of the different creatures and characters, and the people of these Celtic nations? So in Norse mythology, or I should just say in you know Norse paganism the religion of the Norse we know very little about actually how the Norse gods were worshiped we i mean we can say that you know in terms of 
um, sacrifice, pagan rituals, really all of the above occurred, but we really don't have any written records of how the Norse gods were worshipped. So were these characters revered and worshipped by the Celtic people? Were they just sort of superstitions that existed in local communities? What was kind of the relationship there? That's actually quite interesting that you bring up the um, the relationship with um, Norse paganism, because it really is very much the same when we talk about Celtic gods. Um, there really isn't a huge amount known about how Iron Age Celtic tribes, how they would have sort of performed religious ritual and how they would have worshipped people. Um, you know, I mentioned texts and folklore earlier, but of course there is also archaeological evidence of, you know, votive offerings left next to portals of, you know, portals, and I say bodies of water and standing stones, which would, would have been portals to the other world. But we really don't actually know how the religion would have been. So in myth, for example, um, the two-a-day Danon, which, like I said, the Irish supernatural beings, they were said to have been one of the waves of beings that inhabited Ireland. And then it's man now, so, you know, human beings now, which were the last wave of people to inhabit Ireland. And they made a deal with the Tuatha Dé So the Tuatha Dé would live in the other world and humans would inhabit the land that's Ireland today. So that's one myth, one sort of interesting relationship between people and the supernatural beings. But really, there's a lot of theories um, academically, you know, there are some ideas that the figures in Irish and Welsh texts, for example, were deities, but in the stories themselves, it, it, they don't explicitly say that they are deities. It's just one idea that these are pre-Christian pagan deities that have sort of been shoved aside and taken up this role of just fairies when really they used to have much more power than that. But again, that is um, up for academic debate, really. So yeah, not a huge amount is, um, is known between the Celtic tribes and how they actually did view their gods. That's so interesting. So, you know, we were talking about fairies before. That's something that is, you know, probably 99% of people are familiar with. And we certainly hear of fairies just in modern day children's books, I guess what we would call nowadays fairy tales. So are there any creatures that sort of originate in Celtic myth that are very familiar to us today? And I guess sort of when maybe even ones that aren't familiar, what are your favorite creatures in Celtic mythology? Oh, okay. I'm excited. I love this question. Okay. So obviously you said fairies, um, Cornish pixies. So you can see pixies in Harry Potter. Um, you can see pixies, the, the American, you know, alternative rock band pixies. Um, so that's a really great kind of hint. Um, I love finding little hints of folkloric creatures in, in every day. And pixies is one of my favorites. Um, in terms of my favorite creatures, I love banshees. <laughs> I really, really love banshees because one of my favorite things about them is that they aren't only related to Ireland. There are also, um, there's a Scottish version of the banshee and there's a Welsh version of the banshee. And the Welsh version of the banshee is literally translated as hag of the mist, which I think is hilarious and brilliant. 
but also I think that they're so interesting because there's all these different ideas about banshees. Um, they pop up in sort of TV shows, um, I think like Lost Girl and things like that. There's these sort of um, supernatural TV shows that have these folkloric creatures that originally come from Celtic myth. So some people have this idea of banshees, you know, shrieking at their enemies and slaying their enemies. But really, my personal sort of favorite take on them is that they, they're mourning. So they're quite compassionate creatures. So families were said to have had particular banshees tied to that family. And obviously, the myth goes that when a banshee shrieks or screams outside of your house, that means that someone in the household is going to die. So naturally, there's this kind of negative view of banshees, you know, oh, you know, they're heralding death, they're bringing about death. But actually, I personally like the idea of them mourning death. You know, they're letting you know that it's, it, it's going to happen. But the shriek is very reminiscent of the old sort of Irish funeral processions where there would be people um, paid to be um, mourners. And that's something that pops up in lots of folk customs in lots of countries. So obviously ancient Greece as well and lots of other countries have this idea of funeral processions having paid mourners. So usually women pay to just shriek and scream and, you know, mourn. So I think that's, re I really like banshees for that reason. They are quite a compassionate creature that's otherwise been portrayed as something hideous and hag-like and scary, but I like the other sort of side of them, if you will. So interesting. And there's so many, as I've been doing research, just I think it's awesome that we can have academic and scholarly discussions about some of these just fascinating creatures. Like I listened to your most recent episode the other day about the Boogle Nas. Oh, yeah. And that was great. I thought that was so interesting. This hideous, repulsive, ugly beast that really is just, you know, that all of the woodland creatures flee at the sight of him who, you know, lets out these big whales, but really just wants to protect people and wants them to be safe. So I thought that was so interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting as well, because um, on your last question as well, if you think about it, um, modern fantasy as a genre is very heavily based on Dungeons and Dragons. And Dungeons and Dragons is in turn heavily based on Lord of the Rings. Um, and obviously, J.R.R. Tolkien was fascinated with Norse mythology and also, you know, Celtic mythology as well. He picked and chose loads of different um, cultures and countries, their folklore and mythology. So really, the whole fantasy as we know it today is very much built on these folklore and built on these mythological tales, which is um, it's, it's really interesting, to be honest, because there's be all these creatures that probably originally originated from, you know, these folklore tales that were told to children from their grandparents, I don't know, over a fireside or something. But it's it's really interesting to think about that you know you think of all the video games all the films the books in the fantasy genre that a lot of them you know originated from these folk tales now this next question so i'm obviously just somebody who's new to celtic mythology so i'm some of my questions are going to be just absolutely probably very obvious and basic but Cullen is is he a character in celtic mythology Yes, Colin is um, he's a character in Irish mythology, and I probably should know more about him. <laughs> um, I haven't read too much, to be honest with you. But he's an Irish hero, 
So he's a warrior in Irish mythology and he appears in the stories of the Ulster Cycle. So those also pop up in Scottish and Manx folklore as well. I feel a bit bad for the Isle of Man. I haven't brought up Manx folklore enough. But um, yeah, there's the, um, the stories of the Ulster Cycle really have these brilliant sort of warriors. And um, I think they were originally called the, um, gosh, the Red, the Red Branch Cycle and their medieval Irish legends and sagas that would have been written down. And um, so they come from what is now known as, you know, Ulster, obviously, the Ulster Cycle. And I think lots of them pertain to the first century. So you've got all this, um, these ideas of the turn of the century. You've got these amazing heroes that are sort of in the vein of very um, like Greek heroes as well. So you've got this idea, you know, Hercules in Greek mythology. He slays, he goes on all these journeys. He goes on the hero's journey. And Cúcullin is um, obviously a big example of this archetypal hero's journey character. Yeah, no, that's incredible. These stories and myths, uh, legends are so timeless. And honestly, whenever I'm stressed out or, you know, having a bad day, when I just, I've been really um, doing some work and related to the poetic era of Norse mythology, and I've never gone through the entire thing. I've just, you know, uh, for people listening familiar with Norse myth, just kind of, you know, heard of the Volispa, the Havamal, you know, the two basics. But all of these other poems uh, that, you know, there's tons of them in this book. Uh, I've been just exploring that. And wow, these myths are so timeless. And they just tell, it's, you can just get lost in them. Reading mythology, and I've certainly experienced that, listening to your podcast, Sean, and exploring Celtic myth. Oh, thank you. Um, and I would absolutely agree that mythology is timeless. Um, so, for example, Star Wars is based on the hero's journey. So the hero's journey is this archetypal story found in countless mythologies. So, um, you know, in Russian mythology, in like Celtic and Norse mythology, there's this idea of a hero going on a journey and he has to do, you know, a certain amount of things. He's got to face some danger. He's got to find a magical object. There's all these different sort of um, versions and variations of it, but it is an incredibly timeless storytelling structure. And really, you can still see it in movies and things today. I watched a movie the other day, the new Nicolas Cage movie, Mandy, and that was very much a fairy tale, an incredibly violent and bloody fairy tale. <laughs> But the storytelling structure was 100% a fairy tale mythology storytelling structure. So you, you definitely can see reiterations of these myths, you know, in all sorts of films and books today. So they are 100% timeless. I do agree with that. That's interesting you bring that up because, I mean, I guess I'd use the word archetype. These certainly exist throughout the mythologies of many cultures. For example, um, the contest of wisdom seems to be a popular thing. So, for example, the third poem in the modern poetic edda is called uh, Vathrudnir's Sayings, and it's basically Odin testing his wisdom against a giant Vathrudnir. And, we, I mean, we see that several times throughout Norse mythology, and certainly other mythologies, but also um, this idea, is this something that occurs in Celtic mythology? I, I'm not positive, but this idea of there being a a world tree. There's not, as far as I'm aware, a world tree in Celtic mythology, but um, 
because of the world tree, um, I think there's all these different levels of um, existence, aren't there, that where all these different creatures live. So I think that's similar in Celtic mythology. Like I said, this idea of other worlds um, in Welsh mythology, it's called a noon in Irish. It's other world in Scotland. It's fairyland. You know, in Cornish mythology, you have this idea of um, changelings, you know, changeling children. So pixies would steal, pixies and fairies would steal your child away and your child would be living in the land of the fairies and you would have a fairy child in place. So there is this idea of other realms of existence and other worlds outside of our own. Some of them, like I said, are chthonic, they're underneath us, but some of them are almost um, overlapping us in a way. Um, In the second branch of the Mabinogion, um, no, sorry, the first branch of the Mabinogion, you have the hero Poil who comes into contact with Briannan, who is... um, a woman from the other world and he also comes into contact with one of the kings of the other world and he doesn't have to go through any sort of underground portals it's just that the world seemed to overlap in such a way that something happened where he came into contact with them so there is this idea of other types of places so it's not totally um comparable but I think that there are some similarities between sort of Norse and Celtic myth in that regard. In terms of Celtic mythology, I guess, what is your favorite, I don't know, um, we talked about some of your favorite creatures and characters, but is there a favorite um, tale or, or story that, that you have? Um, I really do love the Mabinogion. Um, I'm very biased because I'm Cornish and Welsh. So obviously I do love um, the Welsh mythology. But my favourite branch of the Mabinogion, which it might not be some people's favourite branch because there are other tales within the Mabinogion where lots of other fantastical stuff happens. But my favourite is the second branch, which is named for Branwyn. So um, I'll sort of do a very short synopsis of it. So basically, Bran, who is a giant king of Britain, which I love that. And again, you, you don't know that he's a giant king until you realise he walks through the ocean. And also there's a little aside that says he's never been in a house because there's never been a house big enough to hold him. <laughs> so it's brilliant images like that. But basically, Bran is the brother of Branwyn and the Irish king, Mafulloch, comes over to Britain and he says, look, I'd like to marry your sister so we can unite our nations. Can we make this happen, please? And of course, they don't ask Branwyn herself. They ask the brother. <laughs> but Bran says, yes, you know, OK, let's do it. Um, but unbeknownst to them, Ethnician, who is the half-brother of both Bran and Branwyn, gets furious. He's not a very nice person at all. Um, he gets furious that no one asked his permission for his sister's hand in marriage. So he sees the horses of the Irish men and he mutilates them. And obviously this causes a huge um, commotion. People are very, very upset. So Bran says, look, Mafoloch, I'm very sorry, but what I'll give you in return for this insult is I'll give you this cauldron of rebirth. So this cauldron of rebirth, if any of your men fall in battle, if any of your men die, put them in the cauldron of rebirth and they will come back to life. Though I don't think he says, but they will come back mute, which is an interesting bit that comes back later on. 
But I love that tale because it's really, really great to analyse, in, not in terms of just fantasy, but in terms of um, sort of Welsh medieval law as well. There's this very big idea of insult and reparation. So if you insult someone, you know, you get the reparations for it. They give you a gift in return for that insult. It should all be laid to rest. You know, it's bad that you're insulted, but you got a gift in return. So it should all sort of be an equilibrium again. Of course, that doesn't happen. You know, the Irish are still really upset and lots of nasty stuff goes on. I won't spoil the whole thing. It's very old, um, but I would recommend people to read that, the second branch. But yeah, that's why I like it so much. Not only is it dealing with huge, grand, magical realism with giants and, you know, princesses that need rescuing, but it also has this really great sort of um, quality that's about Welsh law and, you know, medieval law. So there's a lot to sort of dig into that tale. So it's my favorite in that way. So other than your awesome podcast, which I highly recommend everyone listening, you should go subscribe to it immediately, Celtic Myths and Legends podcast. Where is the best place for a beginner like myself to learn about Celtic mythology? Well, there are lots of different books. I have loads. Um, probably a good one is just, just to Google Celtic mythology. Um, you'll find lots of books that will be under that title. Again, the Mabinogion. I really can't stress the Mabinogion enough. It's, they're brilliant tales. And yeah, look up Irish Imrama tales. Um, look up... Look up the individual um, nations as well. So, you know, look up Irish mythology, Welsh mythology, Cornish mythology, Manx and Scottish and Breton, and you'll find, you know, very localised versions of that then. Um, but really, there's so much that you can start at any point. You know, if you're a beginner, you can really just sort of delve in at any point and find really interesting things. Well, Sean, thank you so much for taking the time to come on my podcast today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. And I've certainly learned a lot. And I highly recommend everyone listening, go check out Celtic Myths and Legends podcast right now. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been really fun. 